I don't know if, if you, when you've been wanting to indicate that something wasn't terribly important or something for folks to um, get overly excited about, perhaps we have said it was not a matter of life and death, or it's not a life and death issue. We certainly cannot say that about the passage that we are going to read tonight. It is literally a life and death issue, but it is spiritually a life and death issue. And in a moment, I'm going to read that passage. And as we read uh, that word, let's ask God that he might speak to us through the reading of his word and as we seek together to look at that word. So let's bow for a prayer together. Father, we acknowledge that every time we turn to your word, it is something that is of utmost importance. It is utmost importance that we hear you speaking to us through your word. And it is of the utmost importance that we obey what you say to us from your word. And so, Father, we come tonight conscious that we need your help, that we might hear your word aright, that we might speak your word aright, and that we might respond to that word. So, Father, we take these moments to pause in your presence. And now, as we read your word, speak to us. And as we meditate on it, speak to us, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, can we turn to the passage of Scripture, to John's Gospel, chapter 11? And we are commencing to read from verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day, and if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world? But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. 
So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she had heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with him, with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that he was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? He said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay, lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go. Uh, we trust God to bless his word to us. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is the ultimate sign 
are the ultimate of the signs Jesus is recorded of Jesus in John's Gospel. But as we read through the Gospel, and again in this instance, Jesus' signs were never an end in themselves. The signs were ever to point to a greater reality. The first of these, of course, was the turning of the water into wine at the wedding of Cana and Galilee. We might ask for what purpose. Yes, it saved the wedding uh, hosts from embarrassment. But John records the real reason for the Lord Jesus performing that sign. The first of his signs Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested the glory of God. And his disciples believed. Here Jesus reveals his glory. John reminds, of course, John 1 verse 14, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, in the passage before us today, Jesus again displays something of his glory. This time it is in the raising of Lazarus from the dead, a foreshadowing of the resurrection at the last, but also a foreshadowing of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, who is resurrection and who is life. The chapter deals with something totally unnatural to God's creation. It deals with death. Ultimately, Jesus would go to the cross to deal with death, which was the last enemy to be dealt with. John deals with huge issues in this chapter, with life, with death, with resurrection, with eternal life. But the ultimate focus in all of this is the glory of God. You will see that recurring phrase, this happened for the glory of God. There are many other things for us to focus on in this passage, but the glory of God is that which is the big picture Death is not the ultimate thing shining forth from the passage. It is the glory of God revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus. What do we read in verse 4 of that passage there? This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 40, we read these words. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. There are other real issues covered in the passage, and we will look at some of them a little perhaps, but we do want to focus what is at the very heart of the text, the glory of God, the exalting of the person of Christ, his power and his authority. And so you will notice that we have simply uh, divided the passage up as it is divided up in relation to the uh, things that happened in the course of this particular instance here. The sickness and death of Lazarus as recorded in the first 16 verses of this passage. Jesus said this illness is not ultimately about death, it's about life. Lazarus will go through the gate of physical death, but that is not the end, said Jesus. It is about the glory of God, 
which will be seen in the raising of Lazarus. However, as far as Mary and Martha were concerned, they have a lot to get their heads around. Because we discover in the first few verses of that passage a very strange expression of love. The words Jesus spoke in verse 4, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Did not mean that the sickness would not be fatal, but that death would not be the end of the story. It will end, as we have hinted at earlier, in the resurrection and for the revelation of the glory of God. However, verses 5 and 6 must appear to any casual reader as a text that is a strange expression of love. Listen to these words again. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea. Jesus loved Martha, and her sister, and Lazarus. And that little word is very important, so, or therefore, he stayed where he was. Now, how do you equate that with somebody who really loves a family? Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus, he whom you love is ill. Jesus was no stranger to this household. There is something of a close relationship between the Lord Jesus and this family. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And you would think love for this family and particularly for Lazarus would have caused Jesus to make his way at the very first opportunity to that family. The text would certainly indicate that that is probably what these sisters thought. Go and tell the Lord Jesus, his friend Lazarus is ill. But what does the text say? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, therefore, when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. The so is important because it tells us something very important. It tells us that there was a reason for Jesus staying. His delay was not accidental. His delay was with purpose. When he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days in the household. It would mean Lazarus' death, and all the grief and sorrow associated with death. It's well for you and me to remember that this was an ordinary family with feelings, emotions, just like you and me. So imagine we're Mary, Martha, Lazarus. But we read that it was love that caused the Lord Jesus to delay his going to Bethany immediately, even though he knew what it would mean for that household. For two days, he stayed where he was. We need to remind ourselves here that Jesus was dealing with the big picture, and that big picture 
was a revelation of the glory of God in the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. He wanted Mary and Martha to get a vision of a God who was adequate in every circumstance and a God who could be trusted in the darkest experiences of life. Love doesn't necessarily give a child what it wants or when it wants it, but what it needs and when it needs it. And how many of us have battled to discern the rights and the wrongs and the whens of all of those things, but that was never so with the Lord Jesus. After all, Jesus could have rushed off and healed Lazarus and everyone would have been happy. But what Jesus was concerned about for Martha and Mary was that they would get the big picture and begin to grasp something of the glory, the greatness, the majesty of the God they were encountering. Truth that would stand them in great stead in the dark valleys of life. You and I do well to be reminded, and we need to be reminded again and again in our dark valleys that they are not without purpose. Because I expect there may be some of us listening to this message that desperately want God to intervene in some situation. And we want him to do it now. The question that may be on our hearts is simply why? Why the delay? Why the pain? We learn from Mary and Martha's experience in relation to Lazarus that God has a deeper concern than the preventing of the death of Lazarus and than the saving from grief and pain. He is concerned that we come to know something of the glory of God. In all the painful delays we will go through in our trust and confidence in him that we will learn to trust when we cannot see. We will grow and develop in our Christian life. God often wants to move you and me out of the shallows of the quick fix mentality. And we all like the quick fix, don't we? He has a deeper lesson to teach us, and some of these we will only understand when we see him face to face. Meanwhile, we need to trust his purposes. They're always good purposes, but not always pain-free. And so Jesus, in this passage, has a conversation with the disciples. Jesus was teaching his disciples that he worked to his father's time scale. We see this several places in the uh, gospel. But we notice here in verses 7 and 10 where the Lord Jesus uh, makes this comment. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? 
If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What was Jesus saying to these uh, disciples? Jesus was saying, I work to God's time scale. Were we to read elsewhere in John's Gospel, we'd read where Jesus again and again says, My hour has not yet come. We read earlier that he would not go up to Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him and his time had not yet come. But Jesus says to the disciples, God's time has come. Jesus was in control. He was working to his father's time scale and therefore was perfectly confident in going to Judea now. The disciples were utterly amazed that he should even think about going. Now, it's maybe good for us to be reminded that before accurate timepieces existed, the Romans and the Jews divided the daylight into 12-hour sections. They would, of course, vary in length depending on the changing seasons, and perhaps some of us wish that that were so, that we could lengthen the hours for certain things even today. Uh, We must work, said the Lord Jesus, the work of him who sent me while it is day, within the compass of those 12-hour period, uh, whatever time of year that was and whatever length those might end up being. Jesus was reminding the disciples that he was in this world on a mission and his earthly life was immortal until that mission was fulfilled. Again, we do well to be remind ourselves as believers that we are also in this world on a mission. And our responsibility is to fulfill that mission, whatever the cost. And committing all that relates to our safety and comfort into the hands of our Heavenly Father's care. Because we too are immortal until our life's work is done. Now the Lord Jesus said that he was going up to Judea. He said our friend Lazarus is asleep. And verse 11 through 13, we find there the disciples were interpreting Jesus speaking of Lazarus being asleep as he was simply in a natural sleep. But Jesus makes it clear to them, Lazarus is died. Lazarus is dead. Lazarus has died. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. Here he is again. He loved Mary and Martha, but he didn't go to their house. He deliberately didn't go because he loved them. Now he says, your friend Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why was Jesus glad he wasn't there? What he said to the disciples, so that you might believe. Believe when you saw the glory of God, the authority of God, the power of God in the raising of Lazarus from the dead. not by Jesus intervening prematurely and preventing Lazarus' death. 
How many of us have found ourselves in situations and we just wanted to step in there? We could see danger looming and we wanted to step in. And there is always a danger of us trying to be what I think it was Oswald Chambers spoke about as amateur providencers. God has a time scale. God has a purpose. Love lets Lazarus die because out of this they will see the glory of God. God is big enough, powerful enough to cope with even death. Jesus was concerned that they would get a revelation of his power, his authority that would stimulate to faith for the disciples. The disciples were discovering that Jesus was not willing to do something about this family situation, but that he was able. How would that be demonstrated? By his calling forth of Lazarus from the tomb, and in this the revelation of the glory and the power of God. And so Jesus says, let us go to him. Let us go up to Judea. Thomas, well, the optimist, he says, okay, guys, let us go with him and die along with him. Thomas says, we're going to die if we go there. But the Lord Jesus knew it would be different. Thomas hadn't reckoned on God's time scale. Then we find this conversation with Mary and Martha and the grief of the Lord Jesus in verses 17 through 34. Between the death of Lazarus and the raising of him from the dead, there were four days. What do we suppose was going through the minds of the sisters? Martha's face, faith was not very buoyant in this situation. And I'm sure that yours and mine may not have been particularly buoyant either. Where is the glory of God in all of this? Lazarus is in the tomb. He's dead. And when at the tomb Jesus says, take away the stone, Martha said, Lord, by this time there is a bad odor. He has been dead for days. Where is the glory of God in this? Martha and Mary discovered something of the greatness, the glory of God in all of this. He is someone who can be trusted in the darkest and most despairing of circumstances. Four days. We might even say, well, it was only four days until they saw the glory of God. We must remember, as far as his sisters were concerned, Lazarus was dead, he was in the tomb, and his body was decaying, and they really had no idea how and if God would intervene in their circumstances. They had no idea as to how this would all work out. 
any more than you have in the dark valley you may presently find yourself in. But Jesus was wanting them to get a hold of something greater than being lifted out of the dark valley. And who of us haven't longed to be lifted out of a dark valley? And indeed, for some, that valley has had a depth and a darkness when we've been at the point of despair. And can I say this tenderly to you tonight? And I say tenderly, realizing that there may be someone sitting in the service who is right there, or who is involved in the life of someone who is. The Lord Jesus wanted Martha and Mary to grasp truth that would sustain them in every dark, despairing circumstance of life. The reality of the glory and majesty of God for these sisters to come to terms with the fact that God's delay is not denial. His lack of intervention does not indicate his lack of love and sympathy with what they are going through as we discover in a moment. What were they learning in all of this? Whether we're getting to know God as a God of glory and power and a God they could trust. A God who is bigger, much bigger than their need. They didn't know if the Lord Jesus would intervene in their situation and if so, when. But they were learning. They could trust him. My dear friends, that is a very important lesson. I don't know your circumstances, nor do you know mine. And neither of us know how God will or won't intervene in them. But the anchor for your heart and my heart is knowing that we can trust God in it. That's what Jesus is concerned about. Jesus' love for this family was demonstrated in delay. As through this, his glory would be revealed. They were discovering a Jesus who not only was willing to help them, but someone who was able. They were discovering that his delays were not without purpose. He wanted that they had a knowledge of God and his glory that would enable them to trust him when it seemed he was uninterested. And those times when they were saying in their hearts, he didn't even turn up. And if he had turned up, things would have been different. That's really what it would seem the sisters were saying, verse 21 and elsewhere. Where were you when? Where is God in all of this? Have you ever asked these questions? Thought these thoughts? I reckon that most of us at some time if we haven't verbalized them, they've been in our hearts. God is never absent in his delays. In intervening, our delays of love, maybe four days, maybe four years, maybe 40 years. 
What the Lord Jesus was concerned about in this story and in the story of your life and mine is that we grasp something of his glory and his greatness and that we can trust him even when we cannot trace his hand. Martha's words, Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. Words of rebuke with a sense of why did you not show up when we most needed you? Was that the case? I'm not sure. It seems much more an expression of sorrow, but also of faith. If you had been here, Lord, things would have been different. And Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. It would appear that she was interpreting this as the orthodox belief the Pharisees had in the resurrection. But Jesus speaks in verse 25, Martha you're about to witness in the resurrection of your brother what resurrection means. I am the resurrection of the life. Jesus saying, Martha, I am resurrection. I am life. And soon you will witness this and what will happen to your brother. The future is certain. We will all be raised on the last day. Some to everlasting life, unbelievers to everlasting death. But as a believer, my future is secure. We can know this verdict. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, asked Jesus? God's love is not expressed by him sparing us suffering and death, but by the revelation of his glory, his adequacy to deal with every situation and circumstance. The giving of himself, may eyes be opened to see the glory and the greatness of God. A God who holds the universe in his hands and raises the dead to life but who also numbers the hairs of my head and who notes when a sparrow falls to the ground. Do you think that God is not interested in your little life? I reckon he is. I came across this from John Piper the other day. Let me read it to you. Oh, how many of us can testify to this reality with thankfulness and joy. The days of suffering and loss and the days of darkness and when it seemed that all around our souls would give way, Jesus loved us. Not by first taking away the suffering or the loss or the darkness, but by first giving us himself in ways that could not have been ours without this painful season. If you demand that God loves you the way the world expects to be loved in this life, you won't know what it is to really be loved by God. The love of God is the gift of his glorious self. Because he loved Mary and Martha, he stayed two days longer and then walked through the valley of the shadow of death and then went and showed them his glory. When Jesus saw 
Mary weeping, the Jews who were with him weeping. Now, the Jewish funeral custom dictated that even poor people, poor families, would expect to hire at least two flute players and a professional person to wail. Even a poor family did that. And as Don Carson points out, this family obviously were not a poor family. But in addition to this, there were genuine tears and griefs. And when Jesus saw this, we read in verse 33 that he was angry, he was outraged. And that seems to be a word that is a very strong word. And the folks who are into their Greek and all the rest of it will tell us that it's a word that was used like for a horse snorting. He was angry with what he saw. Why was he angry? He was deeply moved. He was indignant, angry. Was it because of their unbelief, their grieving as pagans do? Or was it that he was moved by their grief which had been brought about by the fall, by sin, by death, by sickness? You see, these were never meant to be. We were not created to die. It is never how it was meant to be. Tasker in his commentary on John, referring to B.B. Warfield's comment on this passage, may well be right when he says, It is death that is the object of his wrath, and behind death him who has the power of death, and whom he has come into the world to destroy. The Apostle Paul reminds us that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Timothy speaks about our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. John reminds us in the epistle the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. John Stott makes this lovely comment. Jesus saw in death an alien intrusion into God's world. And as Jesus observed what was happening at that tomb and what was happening in that family, he most certainly was observing an alien intrusion into a family and into a world, never how God intended it to be. The sin and sorrow and suffering and heartache And all that this world faces can be traced right back to the Garden of Eden. And the Lord Jesus, when he was going to that cross, he was going to deal with all that had happened as a result of the fall, as a result of what happened in the Garden of Eden going to deal with all of the death and sickness and sorrow and heartache. Jesus was moved. He was indignant, angry. And whoever we view the reason for this, Jesus was going to the cross to die and rise again and forever deal with this alien intrusion into 
God's word. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. We've all known that from Sunday school days. But one of the most profound. The Jews thought it was because of his love for Lazarus until he was in the tomb. But Jesus knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the tomb, so it's hardly a case that he was weeping for Lazarus in that sense. It's more likely as the grief and pain death was causing this family. And here is a timely and an important reminder that Jesus is not isolated from our grief, from our pain. What does the writer to the Hebrews remind us? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who was in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. Can I just remind our hearts again tonight, whatever may be going on in our hearts and in our lives, The Lord Jesus is aware of it. He's interested in it. He is concerned about your grief, your pain, your circumstances. But of course he is concerned that you get such a grasp of his glory and his power that you discover that you have a God who is big enough for every circumstance of life. So just very briefly, the latter part of that passage you read together, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, once again, we see as he comes to to, to the tomb, he, he is deeply moved. And Jesus commands, take away the stone. Now his glory is about to be revealed. Martha's response, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, a bad odor. For he has been dead four days. Four days. Martha is finding faith difficult, I think, just now. I'm not sure, said Martha, that there's much good in taking that stone away already there four days. Bodies decaying. I don't know, figuratively speaking, what the stone might be that you're needing to roll away and you're thinking, isn't much point. Not much God can do about this. Jesus says, I want you to get a glimpse of my glory to realize that there is nothing that is beyond my ability to deal with. Nothing. Martha finding it difficult. How many of us have been there? Lord, this is just an impossible situation. And of course that is true in this situation apart from being in the presence of the God who raises the dead, the God of glory, the God of power. Jesus reminds them of his promise. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
Martha, Mary, I want to show you how much I love you. And here it is. Here it is. I want you to get a glimpse of my power and authority and to do so in such a way that will enable you to understand that your God is glorious and majestic and has overcome every enemy and especially the last enemy of your happiness, death. The conversation of the Lord Jesus with his Father, he says, Father, I know you always hear me, but just that these folks know that you and I are one and it is God who's involved here. He addresses his Father. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. Now, some have observed, I don't know, why did he say Lazarus? Well, some of you are aware, perhaps, of the statement, why he said Lazarus? Well, if he hadn't named him by name, every dead would have come forth. The significance, really, is that he was addressing Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. And what this passage is doing is focusing us on the glory of God and reminding us that death does not have the last word. It has well been said, Jesus destroyed death by dying. He destroyed the grave by being put in the grave. Jesus destroyed sin by being made sin. Jesus is our substitute. He has overcome death. He has overcome sin. He has overcome the grave. May we learn that God's delays are not denials of his love or his interest or involvement in our lives, he has higher and greater purposes. I realize only too well it's very easy to stand and preach this truth from a lectern. It's also easy in the confines of a church family service to say, yes, that's true. But tomorrow is Monday. Or you and I go back into situations and circumstances and, as it were, Lazarus is still in the tomb, still there. May it be that God will help you and me in all of our circumstances to hold on to these precious and glorious facts, truths that will be anchors to us and keep us Trusting when we cannot see and trusting when we cannot trace the hand of God. Where is God in all of this? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that encourages us, that challenges us. Write its truths in all of our hearts. And may it be precious to us, not only now, but in all the circumstances that life will throw at us as we journey through this fallen, broken world. 
but ever mindful that the Lord Jesus has ultimately dealt with our fallenness and the death on the cross. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.